I'm here at Sudley Castle because essentially I'm returning some bones that I was asked to have a look at. Just in case they might be medieval, they weren't, but I thought what a fantastic opportunity to talk to Derek Maddock, who is the archivist here at Sudley, to find out a little bit about the history of the castle. So Derek, so lovely to chat to you. Start us at the beginning. <laughs> I know there's a long history here. <laughs> there is a long history. We can claim a thousand years of history on this site. A thousand years of history. Where does that start? The first record we have is of Empress Goda, who is the daughter of Ethelred. And she married, and then her sons took over the castle, the Dusudli family, the name that they adopted. And they carried through until they ran out of male heirs. So various John de Sudleys, Ralph de Sudleys. And then eventually one of the daughters had married into the Bottler family of Wem. And then it passed to the Bottlers. So when was that? That would be sort of early 14s. And Ralph de Bottler, 1442, he was a huge builder. So we have the dungeon tower still left from that time, the north tower, the church, all coming around that sort of time. So the bulk of the building was due to Bottler. Mm. Before that sort of time, it's more like a hunting lodge, pleasure palace, and so on. So the 1400s, it becomes this castle. Castle, perhaps not the right word, because it's in a bowl, it's not a defensive site. It's more of a pleasure palace, but they called it a castle for grandeur sake. Mm. And windows glazed with beryl, for instance, apparently glistened over the Cotswolds and the light is right and so on. And this is where sort of lots of royal connections come in, don't they? Well, it starts with Eleanor Talbot. The Talbots were friends of the Bottlers and you know, Earl of Shrewsbury, good connection to make. And Eleanor Talbot married Ralph's son, Thomas. And apparently a love match, but no children were produced. And then Thomas Bottler was killed in one of the early skirmishes of the Wars of the Roses. Eleanor Bottler still got on very well with her father-in-law, stayed here much of the time, but apparently on a visit across to Norfolk, met the future Edward IV, who had the lovely chat-up line of, if you go to bed with me, I'll marry you. In this case, she did, and he did marry her. And there was a witness, who later became the Bishop of Bath and Wells. They, again, didn't have any children, and eventually she backed away from him, went into a convent, and he married again, and then produced the so-called princes in the tower, Elizabeth of York and so on. But, of course, if he still married to somebody else, the children would be not allowed to inherit the throne. Yeah. Which Richard III had found out, and he claimed that to claim the throne. And then when he was killed at the Battle of Bosworth, we've got Henry wanting to unify the two Yorkist Tudor families, destroys all copies of that, apart from one which was found later. So we've got Richard III claiming the throne, Henry VII removing this sort of claim to the throne by destroying these copies so he can then marry Elizabeth of York. So this is our first major royal connection. You mentioned the bones earlier. There were stories that possibly the princes in the tower had been moved out of London and killed at Sudley. When we discovered sort of bones in the Victorian times, and also about 20 years ago when gardeners were discovering near the dungeon tower masses of bones, interest was piqued and we thought, hmm, might be worth investigating these bones because we'd like them to be of the princes in the tower, please. Shame they weren't. <laughs> no, sadly not from the right period. But it's really interesting because... You must find bones quite often. I mean, this is a very, very old site. There's yeah. going to be bones. So where yeah. were these bones found? In the archivist's office. We're relatively close to the wonderfully named Dungeon Tower. 
which was a 1442 construction. There's no evidence of it at the moment, but there were oubliettes at the bottom, people lowered in. And when the Victorians rebuilt this tower, this is where the bones were claimed to have been found. The second set of bones were discovered just to the side of the dungeon tower, so all in this locality, all within about 20 metres of where we're sitting. Yeah, it would just be nice if they were the prince's bones. <laughs> well, let's back up a bit, because actually, I mean, that is a really big turning point in history, this whole thing about how Edward IV was supposed to have been pre-contract, actually married mm. Eleanor Butler. And there were rumours during the time of his reign that actually, you know, he'd married Elizabeth Woodville, but that the children would be illegitimate because yeah. he was already yeah. pre-contracted. So I hadn't realised that Sudley Castle was this kind of centre point for this story because of Eleanor having been here. Mm. Edward himself didn't come here, but the castle was owned by Richard III, so we've got the royal connection there Mm. anyway. But according to the bishop, it was a definite marriage. He witnessed it. He was the actual officiating officer. Edward tries to back away from it at a later time, but this bishop talks to Richard of Gloucester and Also, his brother, George of Clarence, had been told about this. So as far as they were concerned, this was a true story. Therefore, Elizabeth Woodville's children are illegitimate. Therefore, they cannot inherit the throne. Therefore, Richard has the right to the throne. Once Edward dies, Richard of Gloucester becomes Richard III. And Richard actually owned the castle previously, didn't he? Because didn't Edward IV give Richard the castle during the Wars of the Roses? Yes, it was given to Richard. He then at some point swapped the castle with Richmond but then took it back again. How often he came here, we've not got much evidence. Logically, he'll be here when the Battle of Tewkesbury was fought because it's a relatively short distance across. The only thing I have in the archives, because the archives were largely destroyed in the Civil War time, is a bill for equivalent today of £3,000 worth of wine. So presumably (laughs) you had a party here at some point. So isn't he supposed to have built part of the castle? The so-called banqueting tower, which divided the castle, was around that sort of time. And it's believed Richard III certainly contributed to that. We don't have a lot of proof. Okay, so Richard is killed at the Battle of Bosworth in 1485. What happens then? Henry VII claims the throne and his reward for his services, the Duke of Bedford, is given possession of Sudley. It then passes through various Tudor hands. Henry VIII certainly visited here with Anne Boleyn in the early stages of their romance. It's possibility that elements of the dissolution of monasteries were planned here. Thomas Cromwell stayed at Winchcombe Abbey, which is less than a mile from here. Henry visited with Anne Boleyn. We have a modern copy of his expenditure. You know, there's definite proof that he did stay here. And also the Seymours become heavily involved. So we've got on to the end of Henry's reign. He marries Catherine Parr. Everybody assumes that she was the nursemaid, but she was a religious reformer. She was the monarch when Henry was out of the country fighting, taught Elizabeth how to be queen effectively, got Mary back involved. So, you know, Catherine Parr was rather a nice lady. Mm. She was a musician. She was a bit of a linguist. She was developing along with Thomas Seymour, this Camelot idea almost, the alternative court in the country. She's away from the sickness of London. She's spending time writing religious tracts. We have original copies of her books that she wrote, Lamentations of a Sinner, and she has one weakness, and that was that she loved Thomas Seymour. She had been married, first of all, with Edward Brough. Then when he dies, marries John Latimer, which brings her to court. She sees Thomas Seymour, falls madly in love, wants to marry him. Henry sees her, says, no, you're going to marry me. 
But then he dies, he and dies. the romance with Thomas Seymour starts again, they get married. As soon as she can prove she's not pregnant by Henry, effectively, they marry very early on mm. uh, in the period of mourning, which caused a bit of a scandal at court. And for the first time, she actually becomes pregnant as well. She's, what, age 36 at the time, yeah. so pregnant with Thomas Seymour's child. But Seymour was a schemer. He was out for power because by now we've got Edward VI on the throne, little nine-year-old, and Henry wanted a council to look after. Catherine Parr was on that council. Cranmer was on that council. Both Seymour uncles were on that council. But Edward Seymour, the older brother, hijacks and is the protector, effectively. Catherine Parr has a regular series of rows with Edward Seymour's wife. Yes, it was quite turbulent times. But she comes across here, away from London, wants to have the baby in seclusion and also in safety. And she has the future Queen Elizabeth I is here staying with her. And also Lady Jane Grey. Mm. And Catherine comes here pregnant and has a little girl in the pleasance that was reserved for her. But unfortunately, as many women at that time did, dies within a matter of a week after the birth of the baby girl. And Seymour's reaction, baby girl, what use is that to me? Nice man. We don't like this chap. We don't like Seymour, yes. yes. (laughs) As you guessed, Sudley is not very keen on Thomas Seymour, but we like Catherine Parr. But Catherine's then buried here. Catherine is then buried here in the first proper Protestant rites of a royal person. So she's buried here. There's no sort of ornamentation. There are candles just to see by. There are collections, but the collections are made for the poor, not for the church or anything like that. There's not full details of the sermon, but Miles Coverdale, her almoner, and John Parkhurst, her priest, conduct the service. Seymour by now has disappeared. He's in London trying to get power in a different way. So what happens in the Tudor period? So I know Elizabeth I is supposed to have visited several times, isn't she? We've got Mary who gives the control of Sudley to the Bridges family and the first Lord Shandos. Apparently he had treated Lady Jane Grey very well at her execution. He's very sympathetic towards her as he cuts her head off. And he's given the control of Sudley. And Elizabeth comes here three times. The big one is in 1592, part of her progress as a three-day party here. So Elizabeth I is here, and then obviously she passes away, and the crown then goes through the Stuart line. Yeah, it's then a constable running it. So although it's technically, I suppose, still crown property, well, we've got the Bridges family in control. The third Lord Shandos had bankrupted himself, hosting this three-day party where it rained continually. And oh, no. In those sort of days, the progress is designed to keep the nobles in control, effectively. So virtually they bankrupt themselves to bring the Queen here in the hope that they are going to get... Something out something, of it. Something yeah. tangible. Mm. It's a gamble. Mm. And his gamble fails because it rains continually, despite all the presents he gave her. So then we get progressing into the Stuart time and into the Civil War, Gloucestershire is probably, by and large, a parliamentary county. We've got Bristol, then part of Gloucestershire, Gloucester, big ports that have to be controlled. So there's a lot of parliamentary power here. The Bridges decides to go in the side of the king. Prince Rupert is billeted here quite often. You know, the king visits as well. So surprise, surprise, it's been a target two or three times for attacks. There were two sieges, and eventually Sudley is captured and 
After the first siege, the parliamentarians left, then the royalists re-inhabit. So therefore, second time they capture it, they decide to slight it. And I've got the accounts of labourers from the Forest of Dean, stonemasons, carpenters, demolishing the place, not just randomly destroying it, demolishing the place. Even the church had the roof taken off, so there's no roof anywhere. It's all slighted. Mm. And for effectively 200-odd years, there's almost nothing here. You get a tenant farmer in the early 1800s, the only royal connection we can claim in that sort of period is George III. He visits quite regularly, and he apparently climbed one of the towers and tumbled down the spiral staircase. Oh. And Mrs Cox, the stout housekeeper, as she's referred to at that sort of time, threw herself underneath him and saved his life. Oh, my goodness. And her nephew was rewarded with a commission in the guards as a result. <laughs> but it's a ruin nearly at this point. I mean, it's it still inhabited. Inhabited, not really. It is a ruin. You know, the estate is still being farmed. And in about the 1800s, the Bridges family still own it. Then it passes to the Duke of Buckingham through a marriage and elements like that. So it's still owned by Bridges, Pitt, family, Buckingham's. You know, it's, the names are all sort of changing as to marriages and things like that. So the estate is still farmed. And at one stage, the Duke of Buckingham decides that they're going to rebuild the castle. So they employ John Soane to do so. And they look at the prices and they say, no, thank you, and try and sell it. There is a tenant farmer on site by this time, so the one little section is re-roofed, and he also runs a pub here called the Castle Arms. So we've got 1809, no chance of Duke of Buckingham affording this, and then, my dear, trade family buy it. How can a trade oh, family no. buy it? So the Dent family, who are wealthy glove makers from Worcester, and the Dent firm still exists today, buy the estate first, and then 1837 buy Sudley and proceed to rebuild. By 1840, it's inhabitable, and they spend a lot of their remaining years here. It's been hugely rebuilt. During the Victorian period, you have this real revival of Sudley. You can see the difference between the big towers, which they didn't take down, and the sections in between. They were about a metre high, some of the sections. So you've got a lot of rebuilding. They didn't rebuild everything. If you think of a figure of eight with the corners squared off, that's what Sudley used to look like in the 1440s. They decided not to rebuild the banqueting hall, and they decided not to complete one little section of the outer walls. Instead, they put a yew tree hedge there, and they crenellated that. There are, I suppose, two-thirds of the original shell was reconstructed, and the banqueting hall, which is the romantic ruin. So tell me about Emma Dent, because she is one of the quite famous inhabitants yeah. of Sudley Castle, and quite a lovely character. The two Dent brothers were both bachelors, nobody to inherit, so they pass the castle to John Coucher Dent. Then he marries Emma Brocklehurst. She comes from a wealthy silk family in Macclesfield, so we've got a glove family and a silk family making a trade marriage made in heaven. So they are very, very well-off family. And Emma then proceeds to rebuild the castle in terms of historical remnants and things like that. So, for instance, 1842, there's the Strawberry Hill sale. A lot of things that relate to the history of Sudley are available there. So that's been bought. And John Coucher Dent, 
acts as the Dent brothers' agent. Mm, so so we have a wonderful painting of the Tudor succession. It's one of these allegorical paintings showing Henry passing the sword of state to Edward with Elizabeth looking on. They're standing on the carpet, which represents the Church of England. And we've got Mary with Philip of Spain off the carpet on the side. There's also copies of original Holbeins made by George Virtue. If you think of... The Mirror and the Light, Wolf Hall, and so on, by Hilary Mantel. The virtue paintings look as if they have been used by the costume designers. There's a superb sort of 20, 30 images there of people from the Tudor court. And then Emma carries on buying anything that fits the history of the location. She encourages archaeological research. She pays for two Roman villas to be excavated, pays for money to be given towards the Winchcombe Abbey restoration, puts a lot of money towards Bella's Napa Neolithic Long Barrow. She regularly invites the people of Winchcombe into Sudley to look at her treasures, her possessions and things like that. She builds schools, lots of money goes towards almshouses, church at Gretton, about three miles away from here, completely built on her instructions. So huge amount of philanthropy. And then she also buys things that she loves, not things that were fashionable, but eclectic elements. Tiger teeth that killed Lieutenant Dagnall. And of course, lots of textiles, samplers. Eclectic barely does justice to Mm. what she has collected. When you actually look at the legacies from her, you know, today's money, we're talking 3.6 odd million given to charities, to servants, to almshouse inhabitants. Every child in Dent school got a half crown. Every teacher got a pound. So, you know, very, very sort of philanthropic and seems a very nice lady. Mm. So who owns the castle now? Well, at the moment, Lady Ashcombe. Now, she married Mark Dent Brocklehurst. I had two children, Henry and Molly. Mark Dent Brocklehurst died aged 40-odd. Two young children, but she decides to keep the castle and then takes a lot of advice from people like the Duke of Bedford and opens the castle as a thriving concern. And it's still open nine months of the year ever since. Lots of people are really enjoying the sort of visits to Sudley at the moment. So it's one of these things that appeals to everybody. So I think that's the thing about Sudley. It's incredibly beautiful. It's mm. this little hidden gem mm. that people mm. don't necessarily know about. It's got this incredible history and then these lovely little kind of stories around it and wonderful things that you can come and see here. Yeah, you know, there's something that will appeal to virtually everybody. So tell me about you, because you are the archivist at Sudley Castle. What an amazing job. How did you come to be here? Part-time archivist, I should stress. But (laughs) I was a teacher for 38 years. I started off with PE and history, always gradually intending to move into history. And then I ran the history department at Cheltenham College Prep School and came here as a volunteer. And took about right place at the right time. I walked into the CEO after about two weeks. And I talked to all of his kids. And he said, do you want a job? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm now the part-time archivist. I've been here eight years. And my task has been to digitalise the system and involve researchers and you know, sort of try and expand the knowledge of Sudley in terms of the archives. Because although the archive was roughly catalogued in the 80s, It's not really sort of been developed beyond that. So we're trying to expand it and sort of show what we have got. And it's fascinating. Derek, I cannot tell you. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time.